Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. Man, what an honor it is to be here. Um, as Pastor Jesse mentioned, my name is, is Ash Matesius. I'm Pastor Jurgen's son, uh, his favorite son. I get to say that because none of the other ones are on the stage. And uh, I'm a youth pastor out in Phoenix, Arizona for Dream City Church, Pastor Luke and Tommy Barnett's church. It's a wonderful thing. Thank you, thank you. I run the youth ministry. My wife runs the women's ministry. It's so much fun. And before I begin, I want to just give just honor to the platform right here, but also to people in my life. Uh, Pastor Jesse and Kat Sullivan, they were father figure to me. And I remember Pastor Jesse was at my very first football game in high school. I didn't play much, but he was still there. Which is, that's how I know it was awesome. And then I'd love to just give honor to the campus pastors, Pastor Katie and Samuel Duth. And we need to honor Pastor Katie twice because Pastor Samuel's not here. She needs both of them. And then we kind of can't be in an awakened church in, in a house without kind of giving honor to my mom and dad who the Lord built the house to. So give praise down to my mom and father. Praise God. I hope right now, wherever they are, they just kind of feel the love. They say, you know what? I feel like someone honored me right this second. But what an honor it is to be able to preach at the, at the Bracey Ranch campus, not just because it was the first campus the church bought, which is always cool, the history here, but this is the church campus I was raised in. Uh, Pastor Connor and I, we had youth service in this, uh, in this very building. I used to sit right there in the fourth row on my phone pretty much the entire time. That's how I was as a youth student. And so uh, this is the house that I was raised in, and this is the house that the Lord used my parents to kind of build. And the beauty of it is, is I had a lot of people parent me in this building that weren't just my parents. Pastor Jesse was one of them. He was parenting me. You see, uh, before I also begin, I would like to just let you guys know of uh, some family friends we have here. Pastors Luke and Constance Meredith. Just give them a wave real quick. So they're on Dream City Church family. They are uh, shepherding and pastoring the Short Creek Dream Center up in Colorado City, which is in... Arizona. Colorado City is in Arizona, and it's right below Utah. It doesn't make any sense. That's what it's called. But so if anybody's ever seen the Netflix documentary, Keep Sweet, Pray and Obey, about the extreme Mormons led by Warren Jeffs, that is the people group that they minister to. Warren Jeffs' house has now been turned into a dream center to save people from that type of work. So that's them right there. Want to give them kudos. I'm sure if you want to talk to them, they love talking about it. They'll talk to you after. But so... As I said, I was parented by a lot of people in this house. And what I love about parenting is it's just like any relationship. But it's got, obviously got a different wrinkle to it, but it's just like a friendship. It really is. It's just like having a relationship with a boyfriend, girlfriend, or husband and wife, except really the only difference with parenting is that parenting usually involves someone who's blood relative or just, or just family. Right? There's usually some DNA involved, which can make parenting more fun, yeah. if I'm being honest. And it can also make it a lot more... Uh, antagonizingly painful. <laughs> uh, I think my siblings uh, and I had a lot of fun with my mom and dad, but there were plenty of times where my dad would threaten to forget us at Costco. Forget us. Which, if you're planning on forgetting, I don't think it's, it's a forgetfulness. I remember when my brother Tom would be crying, just be whining, who knows, like my dad didn't buy him some Legos or something. He'd be like, and he'd just be on the floor. My dad would just, I watch, he'd just pick him up, find like an empty shelf, be like 40 bucks, yeah, this is about the price, and just put him up there. And just walk away. 
Man, one, his ego was offended. 40 bucks, what are you talking about? He's like, Dad, come get me. Like, that's just kind of what parenting was for mom and dad. You see, what I love about my parents more than anything, it's not that they were perfect. And in the first service, my dad just shouted, what, what do you mean in the, fir- in the front row? Which is just hilarious. My parents were no mean, by no means perfect. Uh, and no parents really are. I mean, Jesus' mom and dad lost him for three days. And you can't go to God and ask for help. That's the funniest part. You can't say, Lord, please, never mind. <laughs> Actually, you know what? I'm good. <laughs> Parenting isn't supposed to be easy. What I love about my parents is, is that they parent me not from their own ambition, but from God's word. So, good. so this doesn't mean that any argument I had with my mom and dad just ended in, because God said so, right? That, that would just have ticked me off as a kid, if I'm being honest. But in pretty much everything they did, I was able to notice that the Holy Spirit moved through them. I saw the wisdom in what they did, and they always backed things up, not just with scripture, but with real life examples. One of my favorite things about my dad, just as a minister, is, is you know, he wasn't saved till he was 18, so he's really lived a real life. He's not just saying, well, the Bible says this. He would say, son, I watched this person do this. In my life, I did this. And I could see the real world application to what he was saying. So just as my dad was a minister, so he was as a parent. That's, that's why he was a great parent. But throughout my childhood, I was embraced by God in the ways of God. And that helped shape me to be who I am today more than anything. That even though my parents made mistakes, even though they didn't do things 100% correct, they did things that sometimes might make other parents feel really good about themselves. Like, wow, if he did that, I'm pretty awesome. But even though my parents weren't perfect, I, as a child, walked in a perfect peace my whole life. But before we get into kind of the crux of the message, please bow your heads and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for the word that you've given your uh, servant. God, I pray that as my mouth opens, let it be your word that comes out. Father, I pray that your word will just bless these people. Your word with the power to bring life, bring a new destiny, a new healing, a fresh revelation, God. And I pray that you'll prepare the hearts for the people in this crowd to receive your word and act upon it. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. So we're going to kind of get in the title of my message this morning. For those of you who want to take notes and get Chick-fil-A in heaven, that's what happens. If you take notes, you get free Chick-fil-A in heaven. The title of my message this morning is called Confessions of a Pastor's Kid. It's confession time. It's confession time. So I'm going to get the tape recorder out, and we're going to kind of give this to my mom and dad. Confessions of a Pastor's Kid. Uh, This message is about parenting from the eyes of a son. Uh, I'm not a parent, but I will be one day. I have two bunnies at home. I'm a bunny dad. My wife loves the bunnies. Um, I'm not a parent now, but I will be. And I'll, I'll take what I've seen demonstrated by my parents to my future children. I, I, I'm not a parent now, but I really feel it's because I've seen what my mom and dad have done, I, I can bring something to the table. And most of the time, and this isn't a problem, we get parenting sermons or parenting lessons or parenting preaching from current parents on here's what I've done, here's what I should have done, and we give it to the crowd. And that's, and that's incredible. But not often enough do I believe that we kind of go through the lens of parenting from the eyes of a child. Because how did they receive it? How did they see it? That's always a fresh revelation. And they always have fun perspectives. And boy, do I have some fun perspectives for all of you as a pastor's kid. So point number one, parenting in the Bible and from the Bible. Parenting in the Bible and from the Bible. You see, some of the greatest people in the Bible all share a similar weakness, which was parenting. Uh, many of the kings of Israel struggled to properly raise their children to be rooted in the ways of God, and that caused the calamity of the nation. They could have a king who was on fire for God, who did things right. There was so much prosperity, and then the next king did wickedness before the eyes of the Lord. And you think, how, how could this have happened? Did he not go to Sunday school? Was there no junior high youth camp for him to go to? You see, in fact, the greatest father figure we have for all of the kings of Israel was Jehoiada, the high priest who helped raise King Joash, and he wasn't even his father. 
that the greatest example of a father didn't actually come from his father. In 2 Kings 12, 2, we read that Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all the years of Jehoiada, the priest instructed him. That quite literally, that the kingdom was at its best, the generation was at its best, the people were at its best when the father and the parents were instructing the next generation. You see, parenting is always important. But parenting has been a challenge since its conception. The very first parents, Adam and Eve, had two boys, Cain and Abel, and they couldn't stop their fighting so much so that a brother wiped out 25% of the earth's population. Wow. There were four people and then were three. That's just a math joke for you. That's kind of how it happened. You see, it's not easy parenting since it's kind of oftentimes we'll overlook things for the sake of feelings or emotions, right? Like sometimes it's normal for a parent not to deal with kids since it's just too much of a headache, uh, which is understandable, but it has consequences. We saw that in the Bible. Eli in the Bible was the high priest of Israel who trained up Samuel to be the next judge, which, which sounds awesome. He trained up the next judge, the next prophet, the next ruler of Israel, except when you learn the only reason Samuel was chosen was because Eli's sons Hophni and Phinehas were horribly wicked. Eli's own children were rejected by God for the did. So he had to go outside his family, cause Eli to raise up someone that's not even his son, to be a father of someone who's not his son because his children weren't properly parented. Wow. You see, in 1 Samuel 2.17, it reads, The sin of the young men, being Hophni and Phinehas, was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. And then in verse 22, it reads, Eli was very old heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel and how they slept with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. That not only did God see what Hophni and Phinehas, Eli's sons did, but Eli saw it too. And he told his sons to stop, but he didn't do anything about it. They kept on doing it and then Eli simply just turned a blind eye. We don't know if it's because he was scared by them, if Hophni and Phinehas had been working out and they were just bigger than their dad and like, dad, I'm not listening to you. We don't know if he just had a hard day's work listening to all of Israel's problems and was like, guys, I just can't just, just sort it out. And we don't know if Eli didn't do it because he just loved them and didn't want to see them get hurt. We don't know why Eli didn't be a parent. But we all know is that Eli heard what was happening, but he chose not to look at it. The Bible records in 1, Sam, in, uh, 1 Samuel 3, 2, that Eli's eyes became so weak that he could barely see. See, since he refused to see what his children were doing and put a stop to it, he eventually wasn't able to see it all. Everything in the physical realm is preceded by the spiritual realm. Since Eli refused to see the spirit inside of his children and do what parents do and cast it out, he eventually was unable to see in his own life. He turned his spiritual eyes off and then eventually his natural eyes followed. I've got to tell you this morning that parenting always will begin in the spiritual just like every other aspect of our lives. You see, uh, my mom and dad got their parenting from the Bible, from spiritual counselors, and above all else, from the Holy Spirit. They weren't perfect parents. I'm going to keep harping on that. They were incredible parents, but they weren't perfect. And their parents weren't perfect parents. I remember hearing stories about my, my opa, my, which is German for grandpa, my dad's dad, and that specific one, and my mom's mom, my grandma. And just hearing the stories of how they were raised and how they grew up and being like, how are they not in jail? How, we, how were they not punished for what they did? That just sounds crazy. I remember one time my dad got a new bike for his birthday and he was driving it and it was so awesome. He went down a hill and the hill was too fast. And so he crashed his bike and his bike broke. And he went home crying and told his dad that he broke his bike. And then my opa just beat him for breaking the new bike that he bought. And I was like, what the? What type of parent would do that? Like if I did that, my dad would be like, son, I'm so sorry. I was like, you know, when, when you hear kind of stories of parenting from the 70s and 80s, 
you always are like kind of uh, cringing because you know someone is thinking of calling CPS. You're like, what did I just hear? I'm calling the authorities. See, my parents knew that there were examples of bad parenting, both in the real world and the Bible. And they couldn't be like some of the parents in the Bible, but take lessons from the Bible. You see, that's what the Bible's about. It's not just stories. You know, we look at and see real people, how they did real events and saying, what do I want to take and what do I want to leave? When I look at King Saul, it's not because they're supposed to be insecure. It's not because we're supposed to be filled with jealousy and envy and supposed to fear man over fear God. No, we're supposed to look at what King Saul did and see, well, here's how he failed and here's what I can do to avoid it. My parents understood that about the Bible. I said, here's how parents in the Bible kind of drop the ball and here's what we're going to seek to do in our own lives. Uh, you know, my parents weren't perfect, but they allowed the spirit to move in them before and after. Yeah. I love when people, uh, I meet them for the first time and they're like, oh my gosh, you're Pastor Leanne's son. And I'm like, yeah, it's, she's pretty cool. I like her. They go, your mom is just the sweetest, the most patient, kind, loving woman I have ever met. And I'm like, who are you talking about? Like, what? Like, to you, she's all those things. To me as a kid, she was the type of mom who would swing first and then ask questions later. Are there any moms like that in this place? Like, if, if all she heard was fighting in the back seat, all I know is there was just some type of extremity being launched in our path. That was my mom. I'll never forget there was a story where um, my brother Jordan, God bless him, he's a good man, was in his teenage phase, and he was just, my mom and him were just butt heads all the time. And when we were little, we got spanked with the wooden spoon. That's what it was. I didn't know a wooden spoon was used for cooking until I was 12. And I saw her using it one time to make the noodles for dinner. I was like, what are you doing, Mom? Did the noodles back talk you? I was like, what the heck is this? But so she goes, and I see her before church. I just knew her and Jordan were having it. And I saw her grab the wooden spoon and put it in her purse. And I was like, oh, gosh, she's got road rage. She's going to be driving with the spoon out. No. And I was like, what are you doing? And then Jordan was in the front seat. And they were talking, and Jordan said something. My mom got silent, which rarely happened. In my head, I was thinking, wow, Jordan must have, must have won the argument. No, not even close. My mom, was, my mom was brooding. She was just waiting for the perfect opportunity to strike. And I saw her 10 and 2. Then I went to just one hand on 10. The other hand just slowly sunk down. And I'm observing the whole thing from the back. Like, what is she? And then, bam, right in the forehead of my brother Jordan was a wooden spoon mark, and you could see the outline. He had to go to church and be like, what the heck did you do? That is who my mom was. She was that type of a lady, you know? That's who she was. And it gets even worse. You're like, oh my gosh, does it really? Yeah, it does. Confession time, confessional. I remember one time I was five, and I was a really cute kid. I was. I thought I could get out of trouble, but just not with my mom. And in Australia, we had the rule of, of no video games during the week, which, which is a fine rule. It's a fine rule. I got nothing against it. But my mom and dad were holding a prayer meeting downstairs, and I was upstairs where the Nintendo 64 was. And I said, this is a good day. The Lord has found favor on his humble servant, and I've been rewarded by being able to sneak and play video games. So I'm playing Super Smash Bros., the original one. I'm loving it. And I don't know how I knew, but I heard footsteps come upstairs, and I knew it was my mom. There's, there's no reason. It's, it's, everybody has two legs and feet. How did I know it was my mom? My spirit checked me. And so immediately, I just tossed my Nintendo 64 controller, and I'm just booking it. I'm like, if I can make it in my room, she won't know who was playing, and then everybody gets spanked, which is better than just me getting spanked, because it just, it eagles the pain. So I'm running, and I had to run past where the stairs were to get to my room. And my mom just hears me run. And so she's like, he's up to no good. And so she sees me. And as I'm running by with her left leg, she kicks me. Bam! 
but she was wearing stiletto shoes. And I'm not kidding, I literally took a high heel up the butt that day. And it was quite literally the most excruciating pain of my life. To this day, I still can't go shoe shopping with Aubrey without wincing. I'm like, it looks great. Oh. But my mom, I said, it's a funny story, but my mom saw something and she immediately knew that she in her spirit, that I was up to no good, which I was, and that although it was traumatic, I never did that again. I quite never wanted to even go shoe shopping with her at that point in my life. But my mom saw something and she knew she had to do something. You see, my parents knew that if they, had to, if they saw it, they had an obligation to do something. Uh, and I learned that if my parents saw something, it was game over, so I just started hiding things. No, I'm just kidding. I could not hide anything. My mom was a snooper. All moms have the license to snoop. That's kind of what it is as parents. They have the license to snoop. See, I learned a lesson of parenting by what I saw from my parents. That just as they had to correct what they saw in me and my siblings, I also saw them not tolerate things that went against what God said and the integrity of their house. They were the ones that the biggest people said, when it's my house, it's my rules. And I was thinking, yeah, when I get big, I'm going to make this my house. Not even close. But I always learned the value of integrity, that I would never, as the child, do something that went against what my mom and dad had said, both in the house and just in their life, because I represented them. That was kind of a big parenting thing I just observed. You see, I also learned that some parents, uh, sometimes parents need to let kids sort it out themselves, and other times they need to step in and sort it out for their kids. Uh, my brother Jordan, God bless him, great man, and I used to fight all the time as kids. It was probably the worst when he was 15 and I was 13, um, but I was a planner. I would, I would plan out my fights. If anybody's ever seen kind of those older now, but Sherlock Holmes movies, where Sherlock thinks in his head, he's like, if I do this, and he does that, so then I do this, and he does that, and I do this, and there's only a 42% chance of success. And I'd be like, that's all I need. All I need is 42%. <laughs> and so we'd plan out our fights, and we would fight all the time, and probably, uh, uh, you know, the worst fight happened when we had just moved to this country. I would have been nine, and he would have been like 11. And, um, my dad knew that Jordan was kind of going through a phase, and he knew that I was hard-headed enough to not tolerate it. Yeah. You know, he would let us blow up on each other, and then immediately after, he'd come in and talk to the both of us, and he'd show us how we both need to improve and the importance of self-control, the love we need to have. And uh, I'll never forget this story when I was a kid. I was nine, he was 11, and, uh, you know, Jordan would tease me. He would like to just rile me up, poke me, and then I would just lose it. I would just go buck wild. My dad was like, son, you can't let him do that. You gotta just walk away. And I was like, I'm gonna do it. So I did that, we're in the shower together, and I was like, that's it, I'm walking away. And I walked away, I was like, neep. I like kind of dusted off my feet to show him I didn't, you know, I was like dishonored this house. So I was like, I walked away. And then he said one more thing, and I like paused, and I was like, what did you just say? And uh, I remember he was like sticking his mouth against the glass door, like, no, no, what are you gonna do? And then I just like, with one instinct, after I get this from my mom, I just turned and I just punched the glass door. I didn't punch him, I punched the door, which then led to him, and I knocked one of his teeth out. I punched one of his teeth in half, which as the little brother was kind of a flex at school the next day. They said, what happened to your tooth? They said, my little brother. And I was like, that's right. I'm not little for much longer. But I never forget, I was so scared because I was like, my dad is going to kill me. Like, that's so expensive to fix his tooth. And plus, like, he got the better of me. And my dad comes in, I was sitting on my bed like, Dad, I'm ready, just spank me. I, I'm a sinner who deserves judgment. <laughs> and um, we were there and my dad was like, well, son, just tell me the story. And I was like, well, Dad, like, you know, he was selling this stuff and I said what she said just to walk away. So I walked away and then he said one more thing and I just, I couldn't control it. And he's like, so you tell me that as the older brother, he should have been mature 
and he was, he was pushing you and he abdicated his responsibilities, the firstborn, which led you to react that way. And I said, yes. <laughs> that is exactly what happened. That makes perfect sense. And so he was like, son, I'm proud of you for walking away and because you're the little brother and you, you got him, I respect your toughness, but next time you just come and get me. And I was like, done, done. And then I'll forget, I, my brother Jordan's room was next to mine. I hear him go, Jordan, you're the older brother. You gotta be mature. And he got, he got a spanking and he got his tooth snapped and I got off scot-free. That was quietly the best day of my entire life, if I'm being honest. But it's because my dad knew that there was a time where kids needed to sort things out. But just as important, there was a time where he had to step in before anything happened because we were kids. And we did not know any better. You see, this was a part where King David honestly stumbled. And King David is one of the greatest men ever. I would gladly say, if I could be like, man, I would. What an anointing. What a mantle to carry. But he struggled as a parent. Uh, we don't know why. Maybe it's because his father, Jesse, wasn't a good parent. And Lily just abandoned him in the woods to look after sheep for most of his life. We don't know. But there's a story in 2 Samuel 13 where David's son, Amnon, it's going to get graphic. He, he rapes his half-sister, Tamar the full sister to Absalom. And when King David hears about this in verse 21, he's furious, but that's it. The Bible never mentions David talking to Amnon, talking to Tamar or Absalom. Absalom then seeing the lack of a parent involved devises his own plan to kill his half-brother and avenge his sister Tamar. You see, David heard and saw, but he didn't act. He wasn't happy. He wasn't pleased, but he didn't step in from preventing the kids from sorting it out themselves. You see, a lot of parenting is prevention work. Yeah. You see, uh, I'll never forget, my parents would train me all the time with wisdom when I was young so that I would make the right choice myself and not have to deal with the consequences. Uh, they, they would see how I acted in a moment and would talk to me about it or coach me up and say, here's how you need to handle it the next time. And should the next time come and you don't do it, we're going to have another conversation that involves a wooden spoon. And sometimes they would say, you know, they would handle certain things for us kids since we wouldn't be able to handle it ourselves because we're kids. My mother was so brilliant at this. Um, I have a little brother named Tom and a little sister named Zoe. And Zoe, like every baby sister grows up to be, her sole purpose in life was to get Tommy in trouble. Uh, that was the mission God gave her inscribed on her heart. She said, Lord, I received this mantle, although burdensome, and I will make Tommy get in trouble. So like if Tommy would sneeze and not cover his mouth, if he would drink milk from the fridge, from the carton and put it back, she would just book it. Like just book it up to her room and go, mom, mom. She'd be like, and my mom just knew, she'd be like, what? Just what happened? She'd be like, uh, Tommy did A, B, C, D, and E, and he did this thing. And mom would be like, you're kidding me. And she'd be like, no, I'm serious. And he'd be like, that's it, bring him up in here. And then Tommy would be crying like, I didn't, why are you, I'm being framed, I didn't do nothing. So Tommy comes in and my mom's like, that's it, Zoe, you gotta get out for this because it's, it's gonna get violent. And she'd be like, what, dang it. So she'd walk out. And then Tommy would be crying like, mom, please, it was an accident. And then she'd be like, son, I'm not gonna spank you but you need to know you can't drink from the milk carton. That's just very gross. And he'd be like, oh, okay. So then he would leave crying. So Zoe thought he got spanked, but nothing happened. But my mom knew she would have to handle it because if it was up to my sister Zoe to administer justice, Tommy would have been publicly executed years ago. And then it would have gone to me, because that's how it works. You see, uh, and my dad was so good at this too. <laughs> just funny, my dad's not here. I didn't tell someone first service because he might have gotten mad. <laughs> There's a story. When my brother Tom was little, uh, my dad made him do karate. And my dad, to say, Tom, I want you to do karate. 
And because it's so expensive, you don't get any allowance anymore. Your allowance is going for karate. So Tom didn't want to do karate, and now he gets no allowance. But the best part was, is, you know, he'd come home with his little uniform and his little belt. It's like, I learned the low block and the high block. So me and Jordan just used to wait for him to come home. <laughs> and he'd come in his karate outfit, and we would just start beating him up. <laughs> and be like, what did karate teach you for this move? And he was like, help, dad, help. And so my dad knew that when Tommy came home, he would have to walk in first and protect him. That there are some times where you don't even give kids the opportunity to do something because we couldn't handle it. And obviously these are all kind of tongue-in-cheek examples of a real principle. There are times where parents have to let kids duke it out, and there are times where you cannot, you have to prevent anything from happening. See, come on, that's a good word. Praise God. My parents understood the power of parenting from the Bible and using the example, examples and principles in the Bible to parent me and my siblings. You see, we parent from the Bible and in the Bible. That's the way my parents would go about it. Uh, so parenting number two, parenting never sleeps. Parenting never sleeps. Uh, as my wife Aubrey and I are getting uh, into that season of having kids, I always remind myself that once we're parents, we will never not be, right? So I am, I'm a grown man. I'm, I'm outside the house. I have my own house. I have two bunnies at home. You know, like I'm, I'm on my own. But I still, am my, I still am my parents' child. I still go to my mom and dad for advice, man, almost, almost constantly. I probably annoy them. I go to them more now than when I was actually in their home. I go to them for advice. We come be with them for the holidays. You know, I still call him on Father's Day. I am never not my parents' child. And so that's kind of a, that's kind of a similar thing that we'll have when Aubrey and I become parents. So I'm like, you know, let's just enjoy this season. And another one is because when you become parents, you don't sleep for the next lifetime. You just, you just don't sleep. So I'm like, babe, let's just enjoy the season a little longer, and then we'll go. See, but once I'm a parent, I'll never not be. You know, uh, uh, just as true as the fact that parenting never stops, parenting also never sleeps. Now, I'm going to get to that in a little, because my dad could sleep, and he loved his sleep. And waking him up from his sleep was like waking up the dragon in the Hobbit movies. Just did not go well for anybody involved. And Lord help anybody who tried to use reasoning with my dad in the morning. There's a story where we're going to school. I was a sophomore in high school. Like, I'm in high school. Like, I, you know, I, I got friends. I got to, you know, I got to impress people. And we just got my dog, Daisy, who's wonderful. And we love her. She's a rescue. And dad was like, bring her to the bus. I was like, why? Like, what? It's a bus stop. I was like, all right. So we go. We're going to the bus stop. And Daisy's on my lap. And uh, Tom's in the back. And she starts crying. And I'm like, dad, this is the cry she makes last night when she peed. She has to pee. Dad was like, nah, she's fine. I was like, dad. I'm, I think she asked about them. No, nah, I'm not stopping the car. She's fine. And I was like, all right, Dad, I trust you. You've never let me down so far. And then, like, I'm about to get out to go to the bus, and I notice as I step up, there's, like, hot liquid all over my groin region. And I look, and Daisy looks at me. She's like, I'm sorry. I failed. I tried to let you know to let me out. And I was like, Dad, Daisy just peed on me. And he says, nah, she didn't. I was like, what are you, what are you talking about? And I was like... I was like, Dad, you got to take me home. I got to change this. No, just wipe it off. And I was like, wipe it off? And then he was like, I was like, but even if I do, there's going to be a stain. And what I, he says, just tell him your dog peed on you. And I said, Dad, nobody believes you when they say the dog ate my homework. They're not going to believe when I say my dog peed on me where my crotch is. That's just not going to work. But he refused to take me home. So I called my mom. I was like, Mom. Uh, Daisy peed on me, and uh, Dad's not taking me home. She went, what? What the heck's wrong with him? I was like, I know! I was like, can you call him? And so I had to, like, negotiate with my dad to take me home because he didn't want to drive me to school later. He'd already done it. And that's just, that's just pretty much how my dad was. My dad was a German. 
And if world history taught me anything, it was that ticking off the Germans was just not a good move. That's just how it was. Uh, you know, kind of what I mean by the phrase parenting, <laughs> parenting never sleeps, is not that they don't ever sleep. My dad would sleep, but that parenting is done 24-7. You know, even when my parents never realized it, they were still parenting me. There's active parenting and passive parenting. Uh, active parenting is like the intentional times, you know, when, when you intentionally show them something for them to learn or have an intentional talk with them. That's what my parents were great at. Uh, my mom would always see me interact with people and say, son, you know, here's what I saw. And, and if I had advice on how to talk with Aubrey, my then girlfriend, then one point fiance, now wife, my mom would give me great advice, active parenting. And then my dad was great at just teaching me honor. I never forget one time he took us to the movies and he took us to some lame movie. I was like 16. I was like, Dad, this movie's so lame. Why am I here? And he and Tommy were loving it. And I was just sitting there. I was on my phone. He was like, Son, please get off your phone. Be with the family. I was like, Dad, this movie just, it's lame. I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to go over here and not distract you, but I'm going to go over here and be on my phone. My dad was silent. And again, I was like, That's odd. My dad's not usually silent. I was like, Perhaps he saw my reasoning and respected what I said, which wasn't the case. And on the way home, I was on the front seat, and my dad just looked at me and said, son, tonight you just dishonored me so much. You, you can't ever go against what I say and just completely disregard it as your father that hurt, but as someone who loves you and cares for you, I'm just deeply offended. And as a kid, the worst punishment I could get was, not, was just the, I'm not mad, I'm disappointed. When my dad would say that, I'd be like, oh, God, oh, dad, please. So when my dad said that to me, I began to realize that honor is so powerful for a father because it unlocks kind of not only the blessing in my life, but it shows him that I truly love him back. Yeah. That I don't take everything for granted. There, there could be kids begging to see that movie and I'm over here feeling <laughs> like a, it's a waste of my time to be with my father. Wow. I learned the power of honor intentionally from my dad. You see, there was passive parenting, which I learned more often than not. It's the times where parents never realized that what they were doing was being received by the next generation. Uh, I'll never forget, we're going to uh, preschool. I was five years old in, in a Sydney, Australia. We're going to Pixie and Dixie Preschool, which all of our preschools were made by someone on drugs at the time. That was the, that was the prerequisite. They said, here, do this, and then fill out this form. They're like, what? But so we're going to Pixie and Dixie Preschool, and I remember they were like, I was excited because they told us a number came after eight, and I was like, that's not true. It ends after eight. So I was pumped. I said, Dad, they said there's a number after eight. Let's get to school fast. We got to go. And I'm sitting back there, and my dad would drive with 10 and 2, and we'd be listening to Planet Shakers. Anybody ever listened to Planet Shakers back in the day? You know, he'd be like, I stand here in this place, see the glory on your face. And my dad was like getting into it. And I noticed that as we were driving, he would take his hand slowly off the wheel. And I was like, Dad, what are you doing? 10 and 2, I got to get to preschool. But I would just watch. So my dad would just lift his hands and sing praise to God. And I never knew the season my dad was in at that time. I never knew how, how poor we were, to be honest. I never knew how much struggle he had with his relationships with his own father. And I never knew what my dad meant when as a kid he would tell me all the time, it's the dad's responsibility to make sure he eats last and not first. And I would be as a kid, I was like, dad, what are you talking about? Just give me my McNuggets, please. I was like, dude, spare me the lecture. But then I started to look back and I noticed that at every Christmas there were presents under the tree. That if, me and my, if I had my friends, I said, Dad, can we, can we get a large drink? He'd say, of course, son. We never lost, we never were, were spared anything. We were never lacking because I saw a man who could constantly worship God through his cave seasons and his valley seasons. I gotta tell you, I learned more in the passive moments watching my dad praise God when nothing else was okay than I ever learned in any church service. 
I've got to tell you, the passive parenting of praise and worship by my father was one of the greatest moments of my entire life. To be able to understand that if you need to get through your cave season, you praise your way through it. And that's what I learned through no lecture, but just observing my dad. You see, I remember watching my mom handle uh, people with the grace that's undeserved, which is what grace is. It's undeserved love, undeserved mercy. Growing up, I used to wonder why she gave my brother Jordan so many chances. I was like, what the heck? This guy needs to go to military school. I'll sign him up. I'll drive him there. I couldn't even drive. I was so caught up with judgment, punishment, and bitterness uh, that, that, that I had no idea about showing other people the same grace God had showed me. And my mother showed me that just by watching her, that grace is not best when it's stored up for myself, but when it's given to other people to see what they can become. You see, my parents were truly wonderful because they knew parenting never slept. They always walked with the Holy Spirit, that I caught more about parenting than I was taught, that just by looking at their lives and how they operated, you know, kids learn by watching more than any lecture can do. My parents were never too busy to be in my life despite having a busy life of their own, and that's why I was able to learn from them so often. So point number three, last point. The blueprint has been there all along. Parenting's hard. I'm not a parent yet, but I'm already thinking like, what am I gonna do if my son does this? Am I just gonna lose my marbles and freak out? I'm like, I'm already stressing out. I'm like, somebody get me some food. <laughs> point number three, the blueprint to parenting has been there all along. See, parenting is perfected by God since God is a perfect parent. Parenting's perfected by God since God is a perfect parent. God is not unobtainable. He's not a vengeful God who seeks to send people to hell. He's a loving Father who does whatever He can to save people from it. As a youth pastor in Phoenix, I deal with a lot of public school kids. And they all kind of gravitate towards this idea that God is this vengeful person who sends people He doesn't love to hell. Who smites the sinner. And I say, no, where'd you get that idea? Hell was never made for people, but for the devil and his demons. And if people reject God and they choose to go there, he sadly allows them, but God sent his son to save us from hell, not to go there. You see, God is incredible. Come on, give the Lord a big shout this morning. That's who our God is. That's who he is. He's a loving father who does what he can. And we hear this in the book of Hosea. I'm gonna read from Hosea 2.16 before I read it. The context here is that God is talking to a prophet named Hosea when Israel's in horrible rebellion. But he doesn't talk about how he's gonna, how he's gonna kick them out, how he's gonna smite them, but he talks about how he's gonna bring them back. And we're gonna pick up in uh, verse two, or chapter two, verse 16. It reads, it will come about in that day, declares the Lord, that you will call me Ishi and no longer will call me Bali. You know, uh, uh, Bali is the ancient Hebrew word meaning Baal. I'm sure many of us in the church have heard of Baal, the false god of the world. The word Baal means master. That if you serve Baal, then you are his slave. That your life has no value at all. And at any moment, the master can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, because you're just dust and you're fleeting before the almighty master. How I know Allah, Islam is fake, is because the term Muslim is one who submits to Allah, the master. Allah is just another form of Baal, just in a modern day. I'm gonna just say it. If I didn't say that from this stage, I really wouldn't be qualified to preach the gospel. But God says, you'll go from calling me master to calling me Ishi. And Ishi means husband, which is beautiful because the whole book of Hosea talks about a prophet marrying a prostitute woman as her wife and he being her husband and loving her. 
but God will give his life to us as a husband does anything for his wife. You see, that God seeks for nothing else than to be our family. That he gives us value and he allows us to do what we want even if it goes against God. See, the, the American culture has had a really uh, healthy fear of the Lord in its time, but recently that healthy fear of the Lord distorted their view of God. That God is appeased by you suffering. That God wants to see you be filled with guilt and shame over what you've done. That if we truly want to see God move, if we're so desperate for a miracle, then we need to beg and grovel and plead for our lives as if he's the ancient Roman uh, governor in the gladiator room who gives you the thumbs up or the thumbs down. That a lot of people see God as this vengeful spirit and not a loving husband, family member, or father. You see, that's not true. God's not vengeful. See, all the other gods of the world, they seek to take from us. Yet he seeks to give us. Anytime you come into a master, it always comes with a cost. He says, if you come here, it's going to cost you something. When people chase after the Baal, the master of, of fame and fortune, it always costs them their integrity. Uh, my grandfather-in-law, my beautiful wife's grandpa, Pastor Tom Barnett, is an incredible evangelist. And, and he has a story where he was preaching at a church in Memphis, Tennessee. And Elvis Presley walked in. And uh, he went up to the, the pastor who was there. Pastor Tom was a guest pastor. He said, Pastor, that message is wonderful. Uh, and, and, and Elvis grew up going to gospel revivals. Um, and he went to the church. He said, I want to live for God but with all these contracts in my life and all these obligations. I find that it cripples what I can do for God. That as Elvis chased after the fame and fortune, he was taken from him his soul and his integrity. You see, when people serve the God of alcohol, and I'm not saying alcohol is a problem, but when they serve it, when they become alcoholics, when they cannot live without it, it robs them not only of their life, as many people do, but of relationships. They became abusive, neglectful, uncaring. That alcohol costs them something. And when people serve the God of sexual pleasure, they think they're getting a good feeling or a fun moment, but it costs them a relationship and it costs them the feeling of security and they end up feeling more alone than ever before. You see, but what's crazy about God is He doesn't take from us, but He will give all those things to us. But we just have to honor the Father. We just have to look at God through the lens of a pastor's son who learned about honor. See, I found that in my life, the times when I wanted to take things for myself and go behind the back of my mom and dad, all the things I tried to take is what I lost. When mom and dad were gone, I tried to take a cookie from the cookie jar. When they were asleep, they'd come back and see that it was gone, I'd get in trouble. But what's crazy is I found that when I began to honor my mother and father, keep it correct, keep it in priorities, and I would ask them, could I please have a cookie after dinner for dessert? They would gladly say yes. That it was once I humbled myself, put down my pride, my arrogance, and my ego to say, I'm not perfect. I don't know everything. That there's a parent who God has put in my life to instruct me. When I submit myself to that, I was able to get that which I sought to take by myself. And as I started this message, everything in the natural is preceded by the spiritual. If you are chasing after something natural this morning, where's your spiritual heart at? Where's the spiritual presence? Are you spiritually submitting to God? Are you spiritually abling God to speak to you and call out what needs to be called out, just like my dad would do? You see, before I was able to find true freedom from, from sexual sin, from, from the fear of the praises of man, from idolatry, I had to honor my heavenly Father. And that didn't come naturally. Uh, I love America. I'm American through and through, baby. But 
I also found that I picked up the idea that I'm nothing more than a servant of God whose life is as worthless as dust. Now, while it's true I can't compare it to God, he says, I know that's true, but I want you to call me Father, to pray to him. Jesus says, this then is how you should pray to the disciples. Dear Heavenly Father, which in Greek is dear Abba Father, which is Daddy, which is Papa, which is Father. He says, I know what you're worth, but here's what I'm giving you. Call me Father. The moment I began to view God as my parent and not my master is the moment I truly began to walk in the assurance and peace that Jesus talks about. How I know that God is truly a perfect parent is that instead of seeking to take from himself and build himself up, he gave away everything. He loves us so much that he gave his one and only son. You know, not, and he loves us so much that he doesn't take our free will from us. He doesn't force us to obey him, force us to do it. He says, he says, I love you so much you could walk out of this room right now and leave unchanged forever. But how I know God is the blueprint for the perfect parent is because God is giving and he's not selfish. No other God seeks to leave the perfect heaven to be with the created, the imperfect creation. God decided heaven's incredible, but it's missing one thing, his children. And we need to look at God through the eyes of a child. You see, our God's not like other gods. He enables us to be with a relationship with him. All we have to do is be willing to accept it. So this morning, if I could have everybody bow their heads and close their eyes, just please bow your heads and close your eyes. We're gonna do two salvation appeals. The first one is, 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 is if you're far from God, or maybe you never knew God, or maybe you knew him at one point and, and, and you've fallen away or got caught up in something else and you'd like to come back. And maybe some of you have had this idea that God is this vengeful God who wants you to be perfect and then he loves you, rather than a father who sees mistakes and applies grace in your life. If that's any of you this morning, you say, I wanna make God my father this morning. And, and if you could help me in that, Pastor Ash, on the count of three, with every head bowed and every eye closed, between you and God, don't be distracting to anybody else and ruin it for somebody else. But if you wanna say, I wanna make God my father this morning, on the count of three, can I get you just to lift up a hand so I can pray for you? One, two, three. Is there anybody in this house? Wow, thank you. Thank you, I see that hand. Thank you, I see that hand. Is there anybody else? Man, praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. Thank you, I see that hand right there. Praise God. Man, you can put those hands down. And right now, this is, a, this is a, an appeal to all the children and all the parents out there. If you find yourself estranged from your mom and dad, you can't call them, you can't talk to them, you can't think about them. Maybe your brother or sister, maybe your children, you, you're fighting that you're constantly fighting with them. There's a constant struggle, a constant ache in your heart, and you're saying, God, I just need to see what you need me to see and hear what you need me to hear. And if that's you, then that's the cry on your heart, then lift up your hand on the count of three so I can pray for you and lead you into being the parent and the child God's made you to be. With every head bowed and every eye closed, one, two, three. Is that you in this place? Thank you, 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 thank you. Thank you, I see the hand. Thank you, I see the hand. Thank you, I see the hand. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Is there anybody else in this place tonight, this morning? Praise God. So everybody keep their heads bowed. And Holy Spirit, you've seen the hands of, of, of the children and the parents, God. And they're crying out to be in relationship with you first to see what you want them to see and hear what you want them to hear so they can bring that restoration into their natural life, God. I pray that your Holy Spirit will give them the supernatural courage and power to make that happen in the name of Jesus. And right now, can I have everybody stand up with me? Stand up with me, stand up with me. Uh, a lot of pastors, and I think this is fine, call what we're gonna do the sinner's prayer which is fine. But I like to call it the prayer of redemption because although we were sinners, we're now redeemed by the blood of Jesus. So if I could have everybody in this place repeat after me.
Say, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your Son Jesus to die on a cross for my sins. Lord Jesus, today I choose to love you. I choose to honor you all the days of my life. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Give the Lord a big shout this morning. Wow. What an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.